0: Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September twenty second, two 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Malcolm White. I'm your host today on this Sunday afternoon. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Mississippi Arts Hour and to MPB. Think Radio. My guest today, all the way from Nashville, Tennessee, Mr. Charlie Warsham. Welcome, Charlie.
1: Thanks for having me, Malcolm. It's so good to be on the Mississippi Airwaves.
0: Yeah, man, and uh, you're in your studio. Looks like a home studio there. I see uh, an American flag and a a variety of the Mississippi flag back there.
1: That's it. Yes, sir.
0: (laughs) So, so Charlie, uh, you're a singer-songwriter Multi instrumentalist. Uh, I think you do some producing and some directing as well, because I know you do these videos. Yes, sir. So, so you got your hands in a multitude of, of pots, as they say.
1: I believe but, in wearing a lot of hats.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you were you were actually born in Jackson, and uh, but grew up in Grenada. Do I have that right?
1: That's right. Uh, born in Jackson. Uh, my my dad's work between the ages of being born and two years old, we. Uh, kind of ping pong between Crystal Springs and Grenada and uh, settled in Grenada. And I was there till I left for college.
0: And after that, you moved about, uh, but you ended up in Nashville, right where you are now. That's
1: right. We we'd take a lot of trips to Nashville back when Opryland theme park was around when I was growing up. And uh, between that and my love at first sight, when it came to country music, I think Subconsciously or, or semi-consciously, I knew from a very young age that uh, Nashville was the bullseye for me. That's where I wanted to end up.
0: So you went, but you went to high school and elementary school in, in Grenada. Is that right? That's
1: right. I graduated from Grenada High School and uh, played in the marching band, and loved every minute of it.
0: What what instrument did you play?
1: I well, I kind of went back and forth during marching season. I was uh, part time on the pit. They let me play electric guitar because we did a Scorpions themed. <laughs> uh, show one year, so I got to play the solo on Rocky Like a Hurricane, and then I'd jump out on the field and march with the baritone sax, which was a a, a school-owned instrument, and it was held together with scotch tape and who knows what all else, but it was a great experience for me. We Actually, uh, one of my favorite memories uh, from from my time uh, in school growing up and in band uh, was that we got invited to march in the Macy's Parade the year of September wow. 11th. Wow. And to be in New York, they they drove our buses around Ground Zero. And uh, that was my first experience of being on the front lines of history like that. It was a very moving uh, thing to get to represent the country uh, from little old Grenada, Mississippi at that time.
0: Well, I'm going to tell a brief story. A few years back, we were having some issues uh, in state government. There was a movement afoot to... uh, to dissolve the Arts Commission and and move the Arts Commission into MDA, the Mississippi Development Authority. And of course, we thought that was a terrible idea, but bills got introduced both in the Senate and the House. And before we knew it, we were in a fight for our lives. The first phone call I get is from a kid I don't even know. I've heard his name, but I've never met him. He says, hey, this is Charlie Worsham. What can I do to help? (laughs)
1: Yes, sir. I think I was calling you from the East Nashville Dog Park, too. Uh, <laughs> I remember that conversation well, and I just have to tell you, uh, you know, my dad, actually, he uh, he worked for 44 years in banking in Mississippi, and uh, his retirement gig, if you will, uh, is working in tourism uh, back home in Grenada. And uh, y- you don't get very far into Mississippi tourism that you run into our cultural legacy. Uh, and I can see how it might Seem to make sense to to want to fold the two together, but the the trick here is, uh, I, I believe that our arts culture, uh, our our cultural history, uh, it's a living, breathing thing, and to keep it alive and to keep creating uh, opportunities for the next BB King, the next Tammy Wynette, the next Pop Staples, and and uh, uh, Marty Stewart. Uh, is, is to make sure that uh, we have a structure uh, and a system in place to help fund uh, and foster creativity moving forward into the future. It's our greatest export, uh, our, our cultural heritage.
0: Well, I've long said that Mississippi's greatest asset, period, is our art, our culture, and our story. And it should always be uh, our lead because it is the thing that builds civic pride, uh, it is the thing that tells our story best. And it is, the, as you say, it's our greatest export. And we should not in any way water it down uh, or, or diffuse it or, or to get sidetracked. And if I'm not mistaken, when you were a youngster, you applied for a grant uh, and, and had a uh, an experience with the Arts Commission early on, did you That's not? That's
1: right. Thanks to the Arts Commission, uh, I received banjo lessons from uh, my banjo teacher a proud ten-year veteran of the king of bluegrass Jimmy Martins sunny Mountain Boys mr. Larry Wallace and, and a, a Mississippi uh, native himself uh, and thanks to the arts commission um, our family was able to provide those lessons for me and uh, it, it, it 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 was a huge part of my uh, musical compass uh, and 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 steering me in the right direction and today uh, I'm very fortunate uh, here in Nashville to have uh, organizations like the Country Music Association, CMA, and Academy of Country Music, the ACM. Uh, and they've helped us uh, create a program in my hometown, the Follow Your Heart Arts program. And, uh, and and through the experience of putting this program together with my family and, and from uh, local leaders in Grenada, what we're learning all over again is that music builds bridges. And you put a guitar in a kid's hands, especially a kid, who's struggling at maybe a situation at home, who financially would not otherwise be able to have access to that instrument and that education. And you can change their life with a guitar. And they don't ever have to be uh, Eddie Van Halen on the guitar. <laughs> uh, what, what they're learning is that the, the place where they're growing up uh, is home to such a rich uh, arts heritage. And they're learning that there are a lot of jobs in music that aren't in that spotlight, and it gives them hope. Uh, and it, and I think it's really brought a lot of healing. We've seen it firsthand and, uh, at a time, uh, like the one we're in now, I think where there's a lot of division, I think music is one of the most powerful ways to, uh, create conversation and build bridges.
0: Yeah, you're right. And, uh, again, I'm, it's really tickles us at the arts commission when we talk about, uh, the apprenticeship that you and Larry Wallace, uh, had back in, do you remember what year it was?
1: I don't. Oh, goodness. It would have been uh, the mid-90s. Mid-90s, uh, yeah. That was when I really got, into, got deep into bluegrass and, and banjo picking, and uh, always grateful to y'all for that.
0: Well, we're grateful to you because you carry the flag and you always remember where you're from. Uh, and speaking of which, I know you've worked with Marty Stewart, and we're real excited about the, the new Congress of Country Music that he's building over in Philadelphia. That's going to be a, a tremendous asset.
1: Yes, it is, and so happy that he's just uh, been the newest uh, person invited to the Country Music Hall of Fame as well. Uh, so deserving, and and he represents our home state uh, so well.
0: You yeah, know, I told him the worst part about that, that he's going to have to lose that joke where he tells the joke about when he's out on, in public with Connie, and he says, one of us is in the Hall of Fame and the other one isn't. And I said, you just lost that, that joke. That's right. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> That's
0: so... Um, Growing up uh, in, in, in Grenada, you played in the marching band. Did you, did you have a rock and roll band, a country band? Did you have a little garage band that you and your buddies uh, played in?
1: I did all of the above. Uh, <laughs> I had uh, friends that were uh, fellow students at school, even when we were young in grade school, like middle school, Uh, we'd try to play the local dances and we'd hook up utility lights. You're supposed to clamp to the hood of your car when you're working on your car and put colored bulbs in them and (laughs) try to create a show, uh, played in a bluegrass band with, uh, some guys who actually, uh, when they were younger, had played in a rock and roll band with my dad and, uh, had kind of transitioned to the bluegrass side of things. And we were the Wabash cannibals (laughs) and, uh, (laughs) So I'd go over to Greenville a ton and play gigs, and we recorded at a home studio a bunch. And uh, then by the time I was in high school, I was playing in a, a bar band. I was so fortunate that uh, uh, my parents and, and the bandmates uh, and, and everyone at the all the venues were supportive of that and made sure I was taken care of and let me play. Uh, it was it was the best education because when you couple that with you know, piano lessons and banjo lessons and a school band program, Uh, I really had an opportunity to uh, try it all. Uh, Right down to Norbert Putnam, uh, who married a Grenada girl. Uh, Norbert being uh, a guy that played in the original Muscle Shoals rhythm section and played on records for Elvis, produced Joan Baez, and Margaritaville for Jimmy Buffett, another uh, uh, Mississippian there. Uh, But Norbert had a studio in Grenada and took me under his wing and taught me a lot about recording. So I was fortunate to get it from all sides.
0: Now, besides playing, you you do production, right? You do engineering and producing. You you do it all, right?
1: I, I do I, I do a little bit of it all. Usually, if I'm in the producer engineer chair, I am uh, more or less uh, working on my own projects. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't hire me to engineer somebody else's record, <laughs> uh, and I haven't produced a ton of other people's uh, records. But I've been fortunate to be in the session player's seat and background singer's seat and, and, uh, uh, just, just really get a, a, a look at it from, I just so believe in, in, in the more hats you can get an opportunity to wear and the better perspective you have. And especially for me, when it comes to my main job of making my own records and playing my own shows, it all informs me. All right.
0: Now, early on, was there an inspiration? Was there a moment? Do you remember something, uh, that you felt or saw or, or our, our thought, now, this is what I want to do, or this is what I'm going to do?
1: Without a doubt. Uh, the two names that come to mind are Vince Gill. Uh, Vince uh, was playing uh, close to Grenada more, more than a few times. My my parents got tickets and, and brought me with them to catch the show, and I instantly knew I had found my North Star. Uh, but I think the, the the thing that wrecked me, that that uh, <laughs> that got me committed to music without any chance of getting out, <laughs> thank the Lord, uh, was when Marty Stewart came to Grenada to play our Thunder on Water Festival. And the craziest thing about it was uh, he got about three songs in to his set, and the biggest thunderstorm of the century started to just pour down and thunder and lightning all on us. And, of course, it was an outdoor show, and Marty had to run to the bus, and the bus tore out of town. Uh, But but that moment, meeting Marty and seeing him from the side stage, uh, I think that's what made the concrete set.
0: Hi, I'm Malcolm White. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast. You can also hear the show on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. For access to more conversations with creative Mississippians, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcast app. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for
1: Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org and thanks
0: welcome back to the mississippi arts hour malcolm white here on a sunday afternoon with charlie warsham charlie welcome back buddy
1: good to be back
0: thank you so much for taking time to to join us here back at your old hometown and public radio in mississippi i'm loving it did you grow up listening to mississippi public radio
1: I did. Uh, I was thinking about their uh, the bluegrass show. Is it Bill Cody?
0: Bill no. Ellison. Bill Ellison.
1: Bill. That I knew yes. it was Bill Cody's WSM. Bill Ellison's bluegrass show. Uh, grassroots. I mean, that, grassroots. That's it. And I always pictured him in a real bluegrass cabin. And I remember getting to be a guest on the show, and I thought, that's in the cabin. This is a radio studio. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> But I've always been a huge fan of that show. It was it was a, a big part of my musical diet growing up.
0: That's great. So I know you've been working on a new record. Let's talk about your, uh, I guess, two other records
1: on Warner Brothers, or is there three? Uh, well, we're we're working on the third one for Warner right now. Uh, okay, and uh, but
0: so it is. It's is it about finished the the third
1: record? Uh, we just got done with what will eventually be half of the record. And, uh, oh, and, and the way people are consuming music these days, uh, we all know attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. And uh, when you're a new artist, you got to be able to figure out how to tell your story on something the size of an audio postage stamp. <laughs> and uh, so that's kind of what we're doing. We're, we're going to hopefully be releasing some of these songs uh, here soon uh, to sort of be a teaser for what will be the full length record. Uh, but i got to tell you, over the journey of these past two records and now the third, uh, I've learned so much. It's such a joy, uh, and, and I have such a fascination uh, of the experience of working in the studio. Uh, and, and it's funny how I feel like I've come full circle from the earliest days that I experienced being in a studio where all I got to do, I didn't understand how it worked, I just had to play into the microphone and hope I didn't mess up, to having an intimate knowledge of the technology And uh, sort of mad scientist, uh, being a mad scientist uh, and and using all the bells and whistles. And now, uh, working on this third record, I'm kind of trying to get back to where I began and just capture the, the, the best live performance I can.
0: Well, can you know too much when you're an artist and then suddenly you start thinking like a technician or a producer?
1: I think, you know, I call it getting in your own way. But I think uh-huh. it's something, it's it's akin to knowing too much. I think knowing, uh, knowledge is certainly power. Uh, but it, take Pop Staples, for example. Uh, Mississippi, uh, born and raised in Mississippi. Uh, Staples singer, uh, patriarch. Uh, and, and if you listen to the way he plays guitar, technically speaking, you could throw a rock and probably hit 10 guitar players who could technically outpace him. But mm-hmm. the cable between his heart and soul and his fingers is a short, direct line. And at the end of the day, people don't hear your knowledge, they hear your heart. And so I think it's it's good to know as much as you can, but I can certainly testify to the fact that my knowledge has gotten in the way of my emotion when it comes to music, I think. So I
0: want to ask you uh, to say a few words about uh, the first two records, just Talk a little bit about Rubber Band, where you were at that space. That was 2013. It was your first record with Warner Brothers. Looking back, how does Charlie feel about Rubber Band?
1: Well, the experience of my first record, uh, I I think of it in terms of uh, an analogy with road systems. Uh, I had moved to Nashville in 2006. I had joined a band, a band that almost uh, got a record deal but didn't, and and, uh, there was a, a breakup, and... Uh, And I kind of started over, uh, found a publishing uh, company to work with. Publishers are sort of like record labels, but for songwriters, uh, in that they help you pay the bills while you work on your craft as a writer. Uh, And so I started writing songs, and uh, 2010, 2011, creep around, uh, and I have the songs I need to start this journey that would become Rubber Band. Uh, And then I got a chance to tour opening for Taylor Swift, um, next thing I know I'm playing in front of a sold out, uh, Cowboys stadium, over 50,000 people crowd had never had that experience before. And I'm having conversations with a record label to sign a contract. And between that season and the release date of rubber band, it felt like I had gone from the road, uh, the, 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 the dusty Delta road to a multi-level interstate, uh, system. Uh, in that all of a sudden there was a stylist, <laughs> there was a, a wardrobe person, there was a personal trainer. Uh, there there were all of these uh, things to think about and consider and make decisions uh, about. And my whole life, all I'd really cared about was the music. And it's not that the music becomes less important. You just have to develop uh, juggling abilities. And mm. uh, the, the experience of Rubber Band was such pure joy. Uh, I'm fortunate to work with a label that... Uh, that believes in an artist's voice, that believes in creativity, even though they do have to turn a profit to stay in business and all, uh, they want to put the art first. Uh, and so I got that experience, but then in the in the aftermath of Rubber Band uh, came the real-life lesson, and that was the, the album didn't do as well commercially as I had hoped, uh, and when the album more or less sort of uh, lost its bullet, as they say uh, in chart terminology and sort of died, Uh, I was stuck on the road and I had another nine months of touring before I could even be in one place long enough to gather my thoughts. And uh, I was very fortunate. Nashville has a place called Porter's Call that offers free counseling uh, to people in my shoes uh, who have public uh, lives because it creates an interesting dynamic, you know, having a public life. Anybody with an Instagram account can can get an (laughs) idea of what I'm talking about. Uh, but the lesson in Rubber band was after recording it, learning how to juggle all those things and have mental health, uh, a healthy uh, outlook on things.
0: And then came Beginning of Things. Uh, did you say 2016?
1: Uh, well, it was 17. made. It, it came out in 2017, but was made in 2016. And, and a lot of the songs got written a couple of years prior to that, right after I uh, came off the road from the Rubber band, uh, uh cycle. And uh, Beginning of Things was sort of, uh, similar in some ways. We we recorded Rubber Band over a long period of time, small recording sessions where we'd only get two or three songs. Uh, with Beginning of Things, we cut everything in about five days uh, in the studio. And I had uh, the challenge of I had to write every single song that was going to make the record before we went in the studio.
0: So did you go out on tour to support that record? Uh,
1: with, with Beginning of Things, I actually uh, was on the road with Brandy Clark, when okay. that record uh, came out, and oddly enough, I, I got a similar uh, uh, part of my journey there. I, uh, the record didn't didn't do so hot commercially, uh, and I lost my publishing deal uh, the same week uh, that record came out, and uh, fortunately, thanks to the counseling I'd had uh, and everything, uh, I just got back to creativity, and while I was on tour with Brandy, I ended up writing uh, a couple of the songs that are going to be on this next record. And, uh, and I, it it wasn't as bad a heartbreak that time. Uh, and, and I always feel like when I get to make a new record, what ends up happening, I fall in love with music all over again. That's beautiful.
0: Yeah. And, and I think the counseling thing is, uh, an important piece. I appreciate you sharing that because it's personal, but uh, we all have failures and we all fall short perhaps of, of the ideals that we have and the expectations that we build on ourselves and other people put on us. And, and really it's all for really about a good quality of life and doing something you love. And it sounds like each and every time you come back to the thing and the thing is the art, the thing is the song, the thing is the music, right. the thing is the same and it hasn't changed.
1: <laughs> That's right. I think one of the secrets, you know, is, is to, to remember that the work is the reward. Uh, if, if you, if you forget that you can tie your happiness to expectations and that's never a good idea. And, and my definition of success now is to be content with the hunger. I've been fortunate to be, uh, become buddies with heroes of mine, like Vince Gill and, and, uh, be on tour with country superstars like Taylor and, and like Brad Paisley. And if I've learned anything, uh, it's that there is no magic formula of however many hits you can have that you all of a sudden wake up one day and you're happy. You're still going to crave more. Uh, so it's about being content with the hunger.
0: Now, did you record a song on an album with Marty Stewart? Do I remember that I did.
1: Back on Rubber Band. That was such a great experience. I got to work with Marty and Vince, my two biggest heroes. Okay. Uh, they sang and played, uh, on a song called Tools of the Trade. That's about, there's a line in it, uh, going down the highway, my heroes paved. And, uh, Getting, getting to be in this crazy world that is country music. And that that sure is a highlight for me of all time.
0: Today we're talking to Charlie Warsham, a uh, great singer, songwriter, musician, uh, producer, uh, multi instrumentalist, grew up in Grenada, Mississippi, and Crystal Springs as well. That That's right. I, I, it's a tidbit I didn't know. Lives and works in Nashville and uh, is a musician's musician and a writer's writer. and. Uh, we were talking a little bit about his his records and and all the different projects that he has going on. Don't you also have a radio show called Air Castle Community Hour or something like that?
1: I sure do. WSM it's 6 6:50 a.m. WSM is what you hear the Grand Ole Opry on. Uh, is It's called the Air Castle of the South. There's a giant air uh, uh, radio tower just south of town here, taller than the Washington Monument actually. Wow! And. Uh, and it was the one of the first channels to be given clear channel access which meant no other station uh from coast to coast could broadcast on that same signal Uh, and it's always been home to the opry uh, since its inception and i I do the first tuesday of the month uh, 6 p.m central uh, for an hour and i just play songs that celebrate the diverse community of musicians we have here in nashville so you might hear uh, a straight up pure country song and then you'll hear something from Haley williams of paramore from one of her solo projects. who and She, she grew up in Meridian uh, and yeah. uh, lives here in Nashville. And I just love getting to celebrate this community we have here. And I'll admit I play a lot of staple singers, too. I, I feel like Nashville <laughs> can claim them a little bit. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, we're all related. Uh, and there's That's a right. lot of Mississippians uh, in Nashville, as, as you well know, so. uh, who, folks that have gone there to seek their fame and fortune and their careers, some very successful, some not but still most of them that I know are plugging away every day, making an honest living uh, in the creative sector. Now, what about these YouTube videos you do, these cover challenges? Tell us a little bit about that. That's cover, fascinating.
1: Thank you. You know, cover challenges started a long ways back when I first signed with Warner uh, as a way to get, get engaged on the social media platforms and stuff. And uh, what what it began as was a simple concept of – I. I lock myself in my home studio and I have 24 hours to record my version of a cover song and I video the process and then we piece everything together and, and put the video out. Uh, and when quarantine began here in 2020, I, des- I decided to make an amendment to the rules uh, and invite <laughs> some friends. And, uh, we did, a, we did a Beatles cover of, with a little help from my friends and, uh, all my buddies from across, the, the East Nashville and, and, and West Nashville, all over Nashville. We did our recordings uh, socially distanced in our home studios and, and put it all together. And it's just a fun way to uh, get inside uh, the music of artists that I really admire and, uh, and share that experience with uh, fans. Is the newest one David Bowie? It is. is the, the, most, the most recent one is David Bowie's Heroes, and I happen to be working on one right now. Uh, as well, and uh, I, it's always a fun, creative process to dive into a cover challenge. You
0: choose the cover. You you choose the song, or do you have I, a group I, of people?
1: You know, it's it's sometimes I've I'll admit that I'll I'll be leaning into a certain song choice, and I'll uh, make sure that the you know everything works out to to the choice I want. But I, I love to have. I always ask folks on Twitter and, and Facebook and everything, what they'd like me to hear. And so usually it starts with a suggestion from a fan, oh, okay. fan but I, a, I usually it's... make the, I usually make the final cut, you know, So, so you to... direct
0: the fans to the song. That's that what I'll, I'll put
1: strong hints in my question. Like, wouldn't you like to hear me cover a so-and-so song?
0: But so speaking of the Beatles, I was listening to uh, Take Me Drunk. And there are some guitar Beatles riffs in that song. Oh, am I
1: wrong there? No, you were absolutely right. That's the guitar riff from uh, "I'm in love with her and I feel fine." Yeah, and the drums are very Ringo as well. And right. uh, yes, that was a tip of my hat to the music of the Beatles. You know, I'm so fortunate. Uh, my dad raised me on the Beatles and the Stones. My first concert, rock concert, was the Stones at the Pyramid in Memphis, and uh, wow. he. He handed me the Beatles anthology at a very early age, and, uh, and, and uh, that was a, one of the best decisions that uh, my sweet dad ever made as, as a father to me was listen to these guys.
0: <laughs> Hi, I'm Malcolm White. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast. You can also hear the show on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m., For access to more conversations with creative Mississippians, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcast app.
1: Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform.
0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to the final segment of the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Malcolm White. I'm your host today and so happy to have in the studio with me uh, one, a fellow who grew up in uh, Mississippi and um, Grenada, home of Raphael Sims, uh, among yes. others. Mr. Charlie
1: Worsham, welcome. Yes, sir, back. Raphael Sims, man, one of my <laughs> first bandmates. We did the tourism circuit together, uh, <laughs> inviting people to come down to the Magnolia State and see all the music history. And I, I love that guy, man. I'm such a such a fan of the the music community in Mississippi.
0: Well, we're glad you're here today. Uh, we appreciate you joining us. You've you've achieved a lot. You've done a lot. You've you've played all about, made good records, and uh, you're you're steady about your trade. And we appreciate the fact that you always remember where you came from. You may have grown up in Grenada, but you went to school at the Berklee School of Music. But you're now in Nashville, and always remembering your roots.
1: Yes, sir. Proud to Malcolm.
0: Absolutely. So what what are the Mississippi porch editions? I saw some videos where it looks like you went back home and got out on the porch and
1: played some of your yeah. songs. Yeah, you know, about once a month. Well, I have a song on my second record called Lawn Chair Don't Care about these two lawn chairs that were purchased at the Cleveland Walmart <laughs> to <laughs> attend the uh, the Cathead uh, Blues Festival, and yeah. uh, and uh, those lawn chairs have held up. Wrote a song about them, and when quarantine <laughs> kicked in. I was trying to figure out you know, what am I going to do for my, my show because everybody's doing their online shows. And so I just fold the lawn chair out, plop it on the back porch, and I just take requests for 45, 50 minutes and uh, talk back and forth with fans about what's going on in our world. And it, it's been a blast. And how often do you do that? I, I try to get one a month. Okay. Uh, and for a while there, I was doing one every week. And, uh, and then when things started opening up back up a little bit, it, it got to be... Uh, hard to keep that going. and uh, But I love, I look forward to it every month.
0: If you would, share with our listeners what you've more or less been doing during these five months of quarantine uh, since COVID-19 arrived uh, on our shores. What, what you've been doing. I mean, everybody's had to change and nothing is the same. So tell us a little bit about yeah. your day-to-day life.
1: Well, I'm, I, uh, it isn't lost on me how how fortunate I am that uh, my wife, Kristen, and I have been able to to weather this time. Uh, with with relative comfort, uh, and our, our industry of touring, uh, music touring, you know, has been hit really hard, and there are a lot of people struggling, uh, and my heart goes out to them. Uh, last year, uh, 2019 was my first year of marriage. Uh, and, Congratulations. Uh, well, thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> and there have been two really busy years of touring uh, for me, where I played about 150 shows on the road, not counting all the stuff you do when you're home. Uh, and my first year of marriage was one of those years. I was juggling, uh, backing up Vince Gill on the road, which is the coolest gig in the world, and I am not complaining. Uh, but also, I had signed on to uh, tour and, and and be a part of Old Crow Medicine Show, which is also a blast. Uh, but you know, your first year of marriage is maybe not the best time to be on the road all the time. <laughs> and uh, that's what they say <laughs> it's. That's the truth. Uh, but you know, the 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 on the. Uh, The silver lining in the cloud that is the quarantine is that my wife and I have had more time together uh, these past few months uh, than we've ever had together. And it's been a really beautiful time. We're just uh, focused on being home and on on each other. And I'll admit, I am that guy with the sourdough starter. I've been making pizzas and doing all the cooking. I just I love to cook. It's kind of my therapy in a way. Uh, and then doing the live stream shows, uh, which, you know, I, I miss the road and live audiences, but there is something to be said for being able to do a show in your pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so that's really been our quarantine. I've been reading a lot, uh, and, uh, just playing as much music as I can. And, and fortunately COVID hasn't stopped, uh, recording sessions and I've been able to, uh, not just with my own record, but, uh, play on records for some friends and, Uh, We all mask up and keep our social distance, and and we can still make music together. And I'm so grateful for that.
0: When was your last live show uh, before the quarantine?
1: You know, the last live show I played, uh, it was actually a very crazy week. Uh, So uh, this is what was happening the week I played my last show before (laughs) quarantine. Uh, The tornadoes had just hit Nashville. Mm. Uh, There was a benefit show, uh, Marathon Music Works for Tornado Relief. Uh, John Prine's wife had been diagnosed with COVID. Uh, he and his wife had donated to this show. I ended up playing a second show that night. Uh, the next night, uh, I played the station in with two, two dear friends. Uh, and the next day after that, I was in the car packed to go play the festival in London, the country festival, C to C with old Crow medicine show. And about five minutes from the airport, uh, uh departures uh, lane, uh, we got the call, old crow canceled the trip, uh, and by nightfall, everything had shut down. And there we were. And and of course the rest is history, you know, and that I mentioned John prime because it wasn't long after that, that we, we lost, uh, John prime to, to the disease. And, uh, so man, it was a hectic week, but I'll tell you, if I had to pick a last show to play before COVID the station in was a good one. Uh, I, you know, you talk about the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville being the mother church, which it is. Uh, and I take that analogy to say that I think the Station Inn is the Sistine Chapel of country music. Oh, that's uh, It's a beautiful little club. If any anybody listening ever makes a trip up to Nashville, be sure to catch a show at the Station Inn when everything's opened back up. It's a, 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 a wonderful, hallowed ground.
0: And, and who did you play that show with?
1: It that was just, just me, uh, a musician named Billy Justineau, who's a keyboard player. We've uh, played on different projects together. He now plays in, in Eric Church's band. Uh, and then uh, a, an incredible world-class musician named Brian Sutton, who's a session player here in town. And uh, just the three of us on, on that little stage. Well, tell me about your band.
0: Uh, I, I'm assuming you have a permanent or semi-permanent band
1: you know, that, that it's you an,
0: work with, or does it change an, all the time?
1: It has changed over the years. Uh, five years ago, I had a band, and we uh, were on a bus together more than uh, we weren't. Uh, and then uh, I sort of went through a phase where I wasn't touring as much, and I was readying my myself for this this what would become my second record. Uh, and I started calling friends that don't normally tour because I didn't have enough gigs to put together a full time band. And I kind of got in the habit of having session players, uh, and for folks who are not familiar, session players are just the the cream of the crop here in Nashville. Uh, folks that don't really leave town; they they just go to the recording studio, and they may be playing for, uh, you know, uh, Kelsey Ballerini on Monday and Vince Gill on Wednesday and right. somebody else on Friday. Uh, and so I've gotten spoiled since uh, the last few years kicked in. I have a rotating cast of musicians that are all session players that back me up and I'm going to have to figure out a more permanent band situation, uh, when touring comes back for sure. Yeah. Now share with us
0: sort of your writing regiment. Uh, some people write every day. Some people write X amount of hours a day. Some people write only when the muse strikes. H- how does Charlie Warsham write?
1: Yeah. Oh gosh. And I want to uh, answer this question with anyone in my uh, listening, uh, who might be an aspiring writer? Uh, write every day. and And what I mean by that, I, I try to start every day. I, I keep m- these notebooks, and my promise to myself is that I fill a page every morning. and 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 my one rule for what I write is it has to be something that's true. Uh, and it doesn't have to come out like a song. Some days it comes out like a journal entry. Some days it's pure gibberish. Some days it's word games. I'll write a column of five nouns and five verbs and try to mash them together and create interesting combinations. And then on the occasional fortunate day when the divine light is shining down, inspiration strikes, sometimes half a song will pour out. You know, the song I played earlier in the show, Miss uh, I 55, that was a day when I was thinking about an idea and it just poured out onto the page. And I, I literally wrote half of that song, Stream of Conscious. Uh, pen to paper. Uh, and, and the reason for writing every day, and, and, and you shouldn't beat yourself up when you're writing. I say, don't be afraid to write crap because crap makes the best fertilizer, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but you want to think of your writing as a toolbox. And what keeps your tools sharp and in working order is writing every day. It's not about your batting average, how many great songs you get. It's about uh, uh, the the quantity. And uh, and writing is a 10,000-hour game, too. I think uh, I'm close to the 1,000-song mark in terms of how many songs I've written, uh, and I just now feel like I'm starting to get the hang of it. And uh, I hope that a 1,000 songs from now that I'll be saying, man, I feel like I'm just starting to get the hang of this, uh, because it's a bottomless well, writing is. And you, our only job as, as a creatives uh, is to keep pouring uh, truth into that well like water uh, so that it never, uh, dries out. And, uh, and that's the job. And, and we, we co-write a lot in Nashville, uh, which is a great, it's a different muscle than writing by yourself. I encourage doing both. Uh, and co-writing is great because you can learn. Uh, I always try to be the least experienced person in the room, whether it's a band or a co-write or making a record uh, because I stand to learn the most. And that's certainly true when you're co-writing, uh, and there's no shortage of great songwriters here in Nashville. But it's also important to write by yourself. I can't stress that enough.
0: So truth primes the pump for Charlie Warsham.
1: That's that's it. That That is the truth. And I think for everyone, you know, I mean, you, you can... A truth doesn't have to be uh, uh, word for word true. You know, I never let the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> right. uh, and truth can be someone else's truth. but But when you're focused on truth... Uh, it's it's sort of like putting on these magical uh, goggles that help you to see the humanity in everything, and and that's why music is so powerful, especially when it comes to lyrics. Is uh, if you're sharing your truth, chances are someone else can relate to that. They can't. They certainly can more than. Uh, I just believe that people are smarter than we give them credit for. When when we think of people as consumers of music, they you might be able to fool somebody now and then, but people can smell BS. They they know when you're trying to uh, uh, use smoke and mirrors to get them in the door. They're there. That's why Chris Stapleton is is such a success here in Nashville. He may not have, uh, had an easy road to that success. He, he struggled for many years. Uh, but once enough eyeballs got, uh, glued to him for long enough to hear his truth, it was, there it was, it was game over. Right.
0: So, uh, sticking to songwriting for just a second how important is rhyme to you do you sometimes write without rhyme or does it always have to rhyme
1: well I like to think of uh, rhyme as uh, in terms of rhythm as much as anything uh, phonetics and rhyme rhyming matter a great deal but rhyming for the sake of rhyming is isn't gonna get you very far, Uh, rhyming within meter. You know, think about, go back to, Mary had a little lamb, fleece was white as snow. Everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to. Even if you had never heard that before, your brain is already going, syllable, 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 rhyme. Syllable, 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 rhyme. And it's why Shakespeare's so great, iambic pentameter. It's as much the rhythm as it is the rhyme. And uh, this is one of those things we talked earlier, can you know too much? Well, I think it's a good thing to learn as much as you can about lyric writing and then forget it all. Uh, Because you have to learn Mary Had a Little Lamb before you can take that mold, shatter it, and restructure it. And uh, so I really believe in rhyme. I believe in perfect rhyme, but not all the time. If you're writing a song about an idea, say a relationship falling apart, it actually strengthens the idea to use rhymes that aren't perfect because you're talking about a relationship that is moving away from uh, everything's being perfect. Right. And uh, so I think the language has to match the emotion uh, and rhyming has to happen not in a vacuum, but within the context of the music.
0: I read one time that iambic pentameter is so powerful because it mimics the human heartbeat.
1: So thu- wow. thu-
0: so it's that and it's I read that once about Shakespeare having acknowledged that.
1: I believe that. And, you know, there is a uh, there is an endorphin. I want to say it's oxytocin. Don't quote me on this. Okay. Uh, it's an endorphin that we uh, our bodies emit only in a handful of situations. One being if a mother is nursing her baby, the other being. If people sing together in a group, ah. it, is, it is this feeling that we get, this literal chemical that courses through our brains and brings uh, positive emotion into our hearts uh, that we get from singing together. And like rhyme, I believe it's that it speaks to my thesis that music is a bridge that it heals. It's in our biology. It's in our, our hearts, uh, in our, our spiritual selves and everything. Uh, but yeah,
0: it's a larger interpretation of church.
1: It really is. That's I mean, look at gospel music, especially when you look at the history of, of, of gospel music in our state, in Mississippi. Uh, it's so powerful. It's so powerful.
0: The fact that we are the birthplace of the blues, yes, but that we have such a rich gospel tradition uh, makes it a very powerful place. And Charlie, I'm so grateful that you never forget the powerful place from which you came. And I appreciate you joining us today. We only have a Minute left, would you like to have a few parting words?
1: Oh, Malcolm, thank you so much. Well, I would just thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, thanks to Mississippi Public Broadcasting and uh, for not just for the impact they've had on on my life, but on all of our lives. And I just encourage everyone to uh, if you get a minute, maybe maybe Google Mississippi Music History uh, and uh, learn something that you can brag about uh, to folks who aren't from here because I think we have so much history. And, and we should talk about it all candidly uh, and with open minds and open hearts. But the musical side of it is a good place to start.
0: Hi, I'm Malcolm White. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast. You can also hear the show on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. For access to more conversations with creative Mississippians, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcast app. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, everyday tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app.